Sure. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. It does indeed, Scott. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, you know, the projecting is good, but the laughter kind of breaks it afterwards. You spend <laughs> moment of silence. Come on, come on. Focus. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> He's Scott. He's Lee. And we're here to save the movies. Episode 13. Sky Captain Captain in the the World world of Tomorrow. tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was almost synced up. It was. And projecting. We're getting that much closer every time. (laughs) I'm telling you, by by episode 100, we'll have done a decent episode. (laughs) I thought uh, <laughs> episode nine was okay. That's what the reviews were so con- were famous for. Episode nine, it's decent. So we watched Sky Captain: The World Tomorrow, <laughs> right? On my suggestion, because I love yep. this movie. Uh, I was fully expecting to not like this movie much because I remember watching it, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't recall anything that kind of stuck out after we watched it uh, today. I I really enjoyed it, so. There's, I think yeah. there's definitely something to this like underappreciated sky captain. I, this one's definitely it just it just came and went and it disappeared, which is really what we were talking about. It's really unusual in today's society. I mean, everything gets a reboot or a comic book <laughs> or uh, maybe there's sky captain fan fiction. I don't know. I haven't looked. We can only hope. Yeah, I assume. I'll, please, you know, it's just amazing to me that this this is what this was a movie I really enjoyed and it just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, the next few years, if this had been popular, would be the time that Hollywood start looking at remaking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, this is, uh, when did it come out? It said in 2004? Yeah, I believe so. So it came out in 2004, 2004. And it was, if I remember right, it's the uh, brainchild of Cary Conran, Conron, uh, the director and writer, and even I think the produ- one of the producers. He wanted to do, he liked a lot of pulp stuff. And he was doing a John Carter of Mars movie well before Disney started doing it. And he was using uh, CGI to kind of, and computer processing power to kind of create it. And the problem was it was taking forever with his computer and his, his you know, the man hours. And eventually, I guess he, he got some people interested in doing an original sort of pulp homage using that same kind of idea. And I became Sky Captain. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's, he's very dedicated to this. And I think he really nails it. I mean, movie. he didn't really, he hasn't really done much since because I guess it's just kind of just it came and went. I mean, I think it's I think it's a really solid movie. I think he's he's I think everything he does is really done with intent and intelligence. It's great homage. I think it's just the fact that it's an homage to pulp in a really serious way that people have a hard time understanding. I agree. Uh, I think the movie easily could have been schlocky, uh, but the the guy's direction and the writing uh, save it from being that right. and turn it into something that's very compelling to watch. Right. I mean, I think the action scenes are fun. The premise is. I mean, it's just very pulpy, but. Done in a way that's both an update without being, I don't want to say disrespectful, but a lot of times when people update things, it's like that update of The Lone Ranger recently. Uh, there are elements I thought were good about it, but there are other elements I find annoying where they kind of didn't like The Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even the part where he's like, hi Silver! And, and Tonto's like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come on, that's the whole point. You can't be, that's not a joke. That's missing the point of what makes... The Lone Ranger, that's, that's, that's why he's such a cool character. Right. I mean, a proper homage, there are certain things that you don't mess with because right. they're so much part of the canon. Right. 
I think you're right that you can you can tell whether the director wants to do an homage by what he changes. Right, and and even the um uh, the attitude about like we talk you know people talk about Zack Snyder and his direction on those uh, Man of Steel and and Batman v Superman. The 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 real thing I think is whether or not those are good movies. They're they're not really because they're kind of clumsy in a lot of ways, and they've got so much designed by committee. But even the fact that Zack Snyder in interviews will say things like, well, I was always wondering, I wanted to see Batman, like, kill people. And and that's his focus. He's not necessarily interested in the story as the characters have kind of evolved. He's kind of interested in his own thing. And I think it shows. That's why those movies can be very difficult to, to process because he's not really the right guy because he's not trying to innovate. He's really just not interested in that at all. The same, Fantastic Four had that same problem, the, the latest version, where you kept hearing the director kept saying stuff like, like, it's a horror movie. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> It's like body horror. I'm like, no, that's not... Yes, it could be, but it's not. Right. <laughs> right. It seems like they're directors who got a shot, but their shot was on something they didn't want to do. Yeah. Uh, what's, your, what's your favorite thing about this movie? You know, I forgot. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about the movie is the writing. Um, so there's a lot of dialogue in here that's that's really snappy and... And funny, really. Yeah. It's a funny movie. And character-based, which I like. Um, and very character-based. Um, it's, uh, it's it's really easy to get, you know, as a writer, it's really easy to get, to insert just funny dialogue. But almost all the, the humor comes from the relationships between these characters, in particular, you know, Sky Captain and Polly Perkins. Like, there's a whole running gag about, that whole running gag about, did you cheat on me? Did you sabotage my plane? And it's got a lot of humor in it that comes naturally between the characters. It's not like they're making jokes, it, their jokes are naturally part of the dialogue, right? The humor is there, and it, it helps develop the characters. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. Let's stop and make a joke. <laughs> you know, sure. It's <laughs> let's make a joke that's keeping the story going and the character going. Make the joke Sky Captain would make. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this is my favorite thing. What about you? I, did I say my favorite thing? My favorite thing is uh, I love the visual aesthetics of this this movie. I'm always a sucker for uh, pulp stuff, but I'm also a sucker for like weird science. Um, that's why I wrote The Automatic Detective, specifically because I wanted to write a world where they have flying cars, giant weird robots and stuff like that. So this one has tons of stuff. And I like I love the, the weird lanky robots or the giant robots at the beginning or the uh, the flying, the weird flappy flying robots <laughs> or even the hovering robots later. I mean, it's just tons of cool. Even if you took everything else out of this movie, I love the hovering robots and all that. But I love like the super planes. And the uh, island, even the island, is sort of like an homage to like every monster island you see in those old movies. It's got a lot of weirdly mechanical stuff from like 40s pulp. Yes, yes. This is all stuff you could see just right off of a pulp magazine cover. Yeah. Um, the tentacle robots. <laughs> yeah. This is the stuff that if they could have made movies in the 40s, right. <laughs> would have made. They, they, I mean, they could make it, but they couldn't do that. They couldn't imitate those those elements. Carrie Conran is from the forties. It, it's just you can see it. I mean, and I love that about it. And it's, I think, it's also so well done. It's so integrated. We talked a bit about Speed Racer, where it works mostly Speed Racer, but there's moments where it looks like they're on a green screen area, right? Um, because of the lighting in this, because of the way they choose to direct it, and because it's consistently. And maybe he's just a, he was better with maybe the the muted colors help, but maybe he's everything seems consistent and connected. It always feels like they're in that world. Well, I think I actually wanted to talk about this. So I think they're the way they play with the lighting mm-hmm. to make this look like a pulpy kind of movie helps them with the green screen stuff. Because a lot of times the problem with the green screen stuff is that you'll have uh, 
like lighting differences, right? So you can mm-hmm. see the outline of the person around the um, on the green screen. Mm-hmm. But they just render everybody that way all the time, <laughs> so that they, they look kind of silhouetted against everything, and that kind of makes the green screen go away. I feel like I I, I mean I don't know the technique, but I I do agree they're they really well done. <laughs> this feels like a guy who spent like years of his life making three minutes of <laughs> yeah CGI oh, yeah. and then been like, oh, I can, I've had a lot of practice on this. Yeah, I don't know exactly what they're doing with the lighting, but looks like they're doing something very it, purposefully. It's the lighting, it's the coloring. I think it's even they make everything kind of dark. I think he also doesn't try anything too tricky. Like the motion is not too tricky when the characters they're not usually doing something too complex that makes it difficult where the camera's got to pan across like. The characters and the scene. Yeah, I'm sure it's a combination. There's a lot of stuff I think that works. It's all very well done. Mm-hmm. So, good job, Carrie Conrad. Yeah, I mean, on your on your movie, this is a great movie. This your is only movie. <laughs> yes. What's the worst thing for me? The worst thing was did I write this down? Uh, the, the worst thing to me is that there was no follow up to this movie. I mean, we live in a way, in a world <laughs> where everything gets a comic or a, a TV reboot. Oh, whatever. I don't know, man. But it, it's it's nothing goes away. I mean, they're Buffy Vampire Slayer, which is a show I like, but I really question whether we need seven more seasons in comic form. I just don't think we need it. I don't think there's anything interesting to do. But you know, I know that we're gonna do it. Firefly. Okay, Firefly had only one season, so it's kind of like there was still more stuff to explore. But that still didn't go away. Battlestar Galactica gets the everything. Everything is about Spider Man's on his what fiftieth reboot at this point. I think if if not bow. <laughs> And <laughs> so we're talking comics, TV shows, something different kinds of media, right? I mean, there could have been so easy to be a comic on this, you know, follow up or something. Um, MacGyver made a comeback on TV. <laughs> MacGyver had a comic for a little bit. Nothing goes away. But Sky Captain just disappeared. I'd read a MacGyver comic. I, I was, I was, I, I'm not saying anything bad. I read, I think I read the, one of the issues and it was good. I mean, it's MacGyver. But yeah, I, I agree. This deserves some something. Some kind of follow-up. It's a good character. It's a good setup for the character. I mean, he's an adventurer in a world of, of retro sci-fi. I mean, it's a great thing. It's 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 got a lot to do, but just disappeared. Yeah. Starship Troopers got three movies. <laughs> we were talking about that. <laughs> <Yeah. now. laughs> That's criminal, right? <laughs> RoboCop had three movies, movies. <laughs> three movies, and then a reboot, and a TV and show, and another TV show. Oh, you want to talk about? The the parallel here is uh, RoboCop three did really badly and, and there's a direct the director of that was Frank Decker who it's that pretty much sunk his career for a long time um, but before that just before that he did uh, Monster Squad which I feel is a Sky Captain sort of idea that it's a very strong homage to a very specific idea because he wrote that uh, uh, based on like Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman kind of idea where these mm. have you ever seen Monster mm. Squad you haven't seen Monster Squad <laughs> that's on the list that's on the list that's that's a great movie soon and uh i'm very excited that monster squad is great but it's the same way like uh in the he talks about in that about how he just made night of the creeps which is an excellent horror movie about brain slug monsters and so it was it was popular enough that he got to make his next movie his next movie was a vision a unique vision of universal monster movies although they're not universal but they're close enough and kids like that sort of homage like the little rascals and all that and an updated version of that and it's a great movie but of course, that was even makes even less sense than Sky Captain because it's got like monsters killing people, in sort of in the kids having adventures. Uh, it's got the <laughs> classic line which I love, which is uh, one of the kids. There's like the brides of Dracula are coming down the street, and the one kid, the tough kid who smokes cigarettes and his like leather jacket, is going to meet him, 
And they're like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? And then he goes kill some freaking vampires. Oh, that movie is great. That's, oh, sorry, distracted. But it's the same idea is when you have, sometimes when you have a vision, the world's not ready for it. <laughs> huh. Yeah. You think this movie would do better if it came out like today? No. I don't think pulp. I think there's certain genres that are just not accepting a film regarding audiences. I, I, I call this uh, pulp fiction. Indiana Jones gets a pass because Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones. Uh, there's a, another one is urban fantasy. Urban fantasy movies don't tend to do very well at the box office. Vin Diesel did The Last Witch Hunter, which I think is actually a pretty solid urban fantasy movie. But it just disappeared because people, it's dumb or not ready for it. Um, I just think there's certain genres that people just don't, your average viewer doesn't grasp. They're not mainstream enough. As much as they're successful in books, they just disappear. Because huh. there's a lot of pulpy homages in books. Um, not just mine, but tons of them. And they actually do much better. Comic books have a lot of pulpy homages, but theater audiences just don't seem to have a grasp of it for some reason. Yeah. <clears throat> and part of that might be different audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, translating that stuff into visuals is... First of all, not always successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, secondly, I think it, it really can like it force the perspective on somebody. Yeah. That, and if you're not disposed to accept that kind of thing, then you're, you're never going to like it. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's always that thing about we will reject things. I mean, not always badly, but it's just if you're not ready for something, it can... It can I, like, I, one of my pet peeves is how often people... I don't care that people don't like things, but how often people equate fantasy or science fiction adventure with stupidity not like stupidity like it's dumb but stupid like oh it's just big dumb fun we're like well yeah but it, it's better than that like, i i really like it really irritates me that like the transformers movies i'm not irritated they exist i'm irritated that the rebuttal whenever i say like well they could be so much better and somebody's response is yeah but they're just they're just action movies and i'm like well, action movies don't have to be stupid action movies don't have to be big dumb explosions but for a lot of people it's kind of that's what it is you're either serious drama or frothy emptiness <laughs> and that that bugs me literary versus genre right which is a false distinction all the way through it's this it's false distinction in my line of work it's a false distinction i think in film you know because we were talking about That's... like this movie the characters like so much of the character between uh, sky captain and polly is done without them referring to stuff it's just you get the sense of their connection and that's because of good writing yes it was very well written but yeah there's definitely a distinction between Stuff you know is going to be, like, Oscar-nominated. Yeah. Stuff like Sky Captain that would never be nominated for, like, an industry award. It doesn't have to be. It's a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum. Yeah. Like, I don't it necessarily is. think... Uh, if someone tells me they, they, they don't like Sky Captain, I'm not upset. If someone loves Sky Captain, I think it's cool. But it's weird to be, like, it's either great and thoughtful or stupid and disposable. And that's <laughs> just... I, that is stupid to me. Well, it's tribalism. Right? Yeah. People just like to generalize. Yeah, that's true. And use that to kind of elect whatever mob they're going to be a member of. <laughs> that's, I can't argue with that. That's, uh, you know, need to get into social sciences or whatever we're talking about. But, I mean, but it's true. I mean, it, it, it's 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 everywhere. And it's it's difficult. I guess that's our basic discussion. Why can't we just give peace a chance? <laughs> Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll take a spoiler break here. Yes. Uh, now, by the way, you don't have to go see this movie. <laughs> But you should. It's a really fun, lively movie. If you don't, I recommend. Alex will find you <laughs> and get a clockwork orange device <laughs> and attach it to your face and make you watch Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. So that you won't like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? Because that's what that does to you in well, that movie. And, and you will thank him for it. <laughs> <laughs> See, 
Alex, you changed my life. Hmm. <laughs> anyway. Okay. You don't have to watch it. <laughs> you don't have to. Go watch but it if you want I, I to. I recommend it. By the way, even after this is over, you can watch it because it's a good, it's one of those movies that even if you know the story, it's still an enjoyable experience. Yeah. yeah. It's not a movie that has like a bunch of surprise twists or anything. No, no, it's not meant to be. It's just a solid story. Right. And we've been doing a few of those recently. Yeah. Stuff like Speed Racer. And... It's overrated. I think too often, one of the things that bugs me is when someone would complain about a story being predictable. And I'm like, you mean it was predictable in the sense that all the scenes that were set before, that set the story and set the characterization and set the motion of the plot, led to something? Well, you know, congratulations, you were paying attention. <laughs> I don't know. There's two different types yes. of stories you could write. And I think that stories that surprise us are definitely memorable, right? Yes. We, we talk about movies like that as well. So there's both, and it's another kind of spectrum. Sort of, except that here's my here's my main rebuttal of that, though, is I don't think there's anything wrong with stories that surprise you, but those tend not to, I feel like, last the test of time. Like The Sixth Sense, Interesting. how often do you see people still talking about The Sixth Sense? Because the whole movie's kind of a build-up to that thing. Spoiler alert, Bruce Willis is dead. Oh, Jesus, man. Spoiler alert. Come on. Speed Rex Race, <laughs> Racer X, secretly <laughs> Speed Racer's brother. <laughs> You're just using spoiler alert so everybody knows to listen to the spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Darth Vader is secretly Princess Leia's dad. I bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> There's stories that we've done that yeah. uh, reviewed that were our expectations that we enjoy because of that. But the stories that um, hew to like a kind of a expected arc, I think they need to be stronger stories, right? They need to be well-written because they lack that element of surprise. I, I will not disagree with that. I think I think that's why sometimes people go with a surprise because it makes it, it takes a little pressure off in a weird way. Yeah, I, think I can see true. that. I can see that. The story with a, a good twist <laughs> doesn't have it doesn't have as much requirement to be so like on the beats. <laughs> right, because it's, it's got to be really satisfying. Or the other one is like, oh, did you see that thing? It's exciting. Right. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> so anyway. Spoken like a writer, Scott. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> like. <laughs> So, anyway, go watch Guy Captain. All right. If you want to. If you don't, just stick around. We'll be here. So, uh, what did I put here? I love the opening. To me, the opening of this movie, like the theme song, the Sky Captain theme song. Oh, yeah. And the shot and the black and white and the title. Even the title is like that retro title card. And I love it because not only is it sort of an homage to the idea of, you know, the, that these old Pulp Fiction stuff was always set in the future, sort of. You know, like the world of tomorrow, today. <laughs> but I love that it's a it's a play on words because that's the the actually what they're trying to stop is the, the world evil professor's tomorrow. world of tomorrow. So I, I love that. I think it's really cool. Yeah, the aesthetic is really good. Um, like just from the start, the, just from the, the start. Yeah. Um, so everything's kind of sepia toned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're easing you into this world of uh, big gray metropolis buildings. Yes. <laughs> Big old New York. <laughs> Laser guns. Yeah. And, uh, and I love the shots of like the the newspapers, headlines, <laughs> missing scientists, <laughs> like they will scroll across the screen. And to me, that's that's you see that in those old movies all the time. Yeah. One of the things I really loved was the uh, radio waves. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. of the scenes. Yeah. They're just big expanding circles like you'd see in a cartoon. Like when they call Kai Sky Captain, that part where it's like calling Sky Captain. Yep. <laughs> With the old school sound effect. Yeah. I love the sound effects in this. I think the sound design in this, it's, it's. I mean, like when the when the giant robots are shooting those lasers, and it's like... <laughs> or even the weird like... For other oh, things. Yeah, they're all great. Yeah, they're all, they're all really great retro effects. Damn it. Kerry Conran. <laughs> Do you have a Kickstarter or something? <laughs> you know, like a GoFundMe page? GoFundMe page, I would totally I would totally give you five bucks for anything you wanted to do. Sky Captain fights the Martian Menace. Oh, why is that not a thing? Just shut up and take my money. Kerry Conran, call me. <laughs> I will throw whatever little writing weight I have behind this. We'll try. I'll tweet at him. <laughs> See what happens. And it opens up with like all the backstory and exposition, but it's like it's cool. I like the the the, the Hindenburg. That's cool. The Hindenburg three. Yeah, Hindenburg three. <laughs> the scientist uh, giving the, the, the he has the vials yeah. and yeah, and the and even the the note where you get the note and just zero on the note and the light catches it. That's that's great old black and white style. Yeah, and there's a couple of scenes in here where somebody's typing or, or yeah. looking at something that lighting changes around them just to show their face in contrast yeah and that's kind of what i was talking about earlier where that that kind of works together with some of the green screen stuff i think but yeah it's very um old style way of presenting all that stuff Mm -hmm. and it it works really well (laughs) i enjoyed all of it the scientist sends those vials off right he sends that vials off and he also sends a message to the other scientists or no the other scientists he gives them the vials right yeah yeah by the way, I love that everyone follows these, these like, we're talking about the sort of stereotypes because all the scientists are sort of German. <laughs> you know, Polly's the intrepid American reporter. And, um, <laughs> She's got moxie. Later on, Andrew Longili is the upper, stiff upper lip English yep. lady. All, all the pilots are British. <laughs> yeah, and they're all very, like, very I stiff. Say. <laughs> I say. Oh, so, so, but anyway, there's a scene where Polly gets the message to meet her, to, to meet, for her to meet Right. The scientist. Intrepid reporter. Right. Polly, and that's this... Polly Parker? Yeah. Polly Perkins, I think. Polly Perkins, the yeah. perfect... Uh, Polly pro- Perkins. Protagonist. It, it's a great person. name. It's such a great name. This guy, Carrie <laughs> K- Conrad, was channeling. Because right away, it's like, you remember it? It's great? This makes me think of Speed Racer so much. Cause right. Because they're both bought on like tributes to what right. their source material is. And, uh, and I love the part where she meets her editor, who's played by Michael Gambon, who went on to play uh, Dumbledore 2, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> but he's... The Revenge of the Wizard. The Revenge of the Wizard. Because <laughs> when he, you know, again, you're talking about even... This movie's not getting enough credit, but the simplicity of it, where he's just like, I don't want you involved in this. And she's like, don't worry, I'll be fine. Yeah. But she's intrepid. <laughs> it's a short scene. Right. Uh, and it sets up what it needs to <laughs> <laughs> and it sets up her personality, you know. It's like she's always getting in trouble. She's got moxie. That's her. <laughs> she's got too much moxie. And was that line, that great line, he's like, I hate that smile. And she goes, like, you don't like my smile? And he's like, I don't like what's behind it. He's had to deal with her before, getting into trouble. Yep, this is your first taste of the great verbal fencing I'm... throughout. They're going to do the whole movie. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, can you imagine, like, in my, my, again, my alternate universe where there's Polly Perkins comics. Polly Perkins fighting the world mob. Oh, gosh. I'm creating so much in my... No. I see your vision. It is truly beautiful. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, and I, I like... So she goes and meets uh, the scientist at the uh, Radio City Music Hall. And they're playing uh, Wizard of Oz, which I thought was a cute touch. 
Yeah. But again, it's a good shot. It's a good, and it sort of establishes that it's just, it's mostly just plot exposition. A bit of foreshadowing, yeah. perhaps? The, the classic part where she's talking to the scientist and he says, he's, don't you see, he's after the, he's after the scientists. And she's like, who's next? Me. <laughs> and then the woo. <laughs> Timing, right? Timing's everything. Oh, yeah. And then the, the flying robots, which is a great homage to that old uh, Fleischer, Max Fleischer Superman cartoon, one of the original ones. There's this, that shadows where the, those robots from above look just like those robots hmm. that Superman fights. Yeah. I'm sure it's intentional. You were saying when that scene came up, the, the three fingers pointing in parallel. Oh, yeah. Were. Uh, the shadowy fingers the, pointing up. I love Superman that. Cartoon. I don't know about that one. They might have been, but the robots themselves. But yeah, that 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 part where the like the everyone's pointing, like all the people looking up because giant robots are attacking the city. Yeah, it's very. Um, I want to say Godzilla esque. I think Which there's even, a little bit. Well, you know, not... and later on that scene where you see the newspaper spinning yeah. for to- where they talk about like all the resources being stolen. You actually see in Tokyo, if you're looking, there's a little tiny shadow in the corner of, oh. of Godzilla, the original Godzilla. Not, again, not just Godzilla, the original Godzilla. Because oh. Kerry Conran knows his shit. <laughs> a little Easter egg there. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of things in this movie that I thought were references to something <laughs> that I would have to probably freeze frame and, and start Googling to figure out. Right. But I just like that they're in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the best references, though, is they don't they don't draw attention to themselves; they just exist. Right. And then if they if they're because tr- the, I think the genius of this movie, <laughs> I'm going to say genius because I, I I you said you liked it more than you remembered. Oof. I liked it a lot. I remembered it liked it more than I remembered I liked it. The more you talk about this, the more you like it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think the genius of this movie is how even when it not referencing something, it feels like a reference because it feels so authentic. Yeah. <laughs> right. The whole movie is based on '40s pulp. It, it just, so you just, just assume everything in there is a reference to Sky something. Captain could totally have Polly Perkins. They could have o- totally been characters. This whole story yeah. could have been something from the four. Like if so, if he told me, oh, I read it in like an old weird science magazine, I'd totally buy it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, when the robots attack, that's when they do the radio waves, <laughs> calling in Sky Captain. Introduction to Sky Captain. The Sky Captain theme. And he should, this is Sky Captain. I'm on the way. Ah. <laughs> You better be cool if you have a name like Sky Captain. <laughs> Luckily, he is. Thank goodness. <laughs> that would have been really embarrassing. So he comes in to fight the robots, mm-hmm. and his plane's loaded out with all sorts of crazy gadgets. The super plane, yeah. Because <laughs> he's Sky Captain. Right. <laughs> That's what he does. Like the, the, the robots are too tough, of course, but I do like that. He takes one down. He does take one down, which is important because that sort of establishes an element of, of the plot. Because, yeah, he still does something. It's not just a, a pointless scene. He, <laughs> he, he accomplishes something. And he does it by dropping that bomb in his foot. And because those are big, clunky robots. I like the giant <laughs> ones. They're just really, they're basically just walking buildings. Like, they have no balance once they lose. Like, he loses his foot. The robot's not going to hop around. It's just going to fall over. Yeah. And one of the things I like about this is that the robots really are automatons. They the robots not going to ha- hop. That would be ridiculous, right? <laughs> well, they don't function like that. They don't. They don't have that sort of. They're not intelligent in that way. They're 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 machines. They're really sophisticated machines. You know, like like we talk about like later on the scene where Sky Captain's on the ground and they're like gotten cornered, and then the, you hear the signal, and they all just turn around and walk back to their their ship. Because it's like, well, they're robots. They don't think about, let's finish off Sky Captain. My orders are now to go back here, and I'm going back here. Right. It's all consistent. Yeah. Which is the important bit. I, I didn't expect the robots to start like behaving in a 
human fashion, but I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> yes. Would have been weird. Robot begging for its life. No, Scott Captain, please! <laughs> well, now this isn't fun. So anyway, uh, that the robots take off because uh, they've been stopped by, or one of them's been stopped by Sky Captain. I guess they decide it's um, too dangerous to go ahead. I think it's because they're, does. they're here, though. I think they're also here because they were digging up that, that um, generator. Right, but they have to come back for it later. Yeah, but the flying ones have to come back for it later. Um, so Polly shows up. It's Guy Captain's base. Apparently, he's got this army of mercenaries. <laughs> I, I I love that. that just roams the world because that should be scary. But this is the forties, <laughs> so he's like the good guy. He's the good guy. Should we worry about that a secret army of mercenaries? That like public army of mercenaries that works for the you know the countries of the world. <laughs> we would if it was a Sky Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Sky Captain will keep him whipped into shape. <laughs> <laughs> Whose side is he on? The world. <laughs> There's another great writing moment here where um, as Joe's flying by, Sky Captain, he looks down and sees Polly. Oh, that's right. Polly goes, Joe. Right. And, <laughs> and she goes, says, Polly. That's right. And it speaks volumes. It does. <laughs> to how their characters relate to each other. Yeah. You know, because um, it, it highlights that they have a relationship without really spelling it out. And they, just, they know each other. Yeah. They know each other and they're not entirely happy to and see They're not each entirely other. happy with each other. Which is when she comes back. You're right. Because then she shows up at Sky Captain's. Sky Captain's place. Sky Captain's place. His office. I love that he's in. I love the point where he's all heroic and dashing, and he's talking to Dex, and he's doing all that stuff. <laughs> Dex, poor Dex, who gets called. Uh, did you? Say, good, did he, good boy. I don't yeah. know if I did. <laughs> you didn't say your bad thing about it, which is you feel bad for good boy Dex. Yeah, Sky Captain keeps calling Dex a good boy, which is supposed to be endearing, but it's a little condescending. Yeah, that's. Kind of, he seems kind of like a douchebag. Even though, yeah, especially because Dex made your super plane and gave you a ray gun. He's this genius scientist who's enabling all your shenanigans. Enables you to track down the base. (laughs) You're being so condescending. It sounds, it's a Starship Troopers level dismissal of a nerd. (laughs) You're not in command, you haven't killed anybody. (laughs) Sky Captain, I made this gun that can destroy robots. Thanks, Melvin. Good job, Point Dexter. Here's a wet willy. <laughs> and Dex is played by a Giovanni Rubizi. I think does a great job. He's sort of the he's sort of the combination of the the the, the old pulp young sidekick slash scientist genius. And I like that. That's kind of a, a a unique character to see, but feels like it because a lot of times in those movies, the hero had a genius. A professor and some scrappy kid. Right, he's sort of both two, in one. Two separate people. Yeah, yeah. And he's got that cool ray gun. I love that <laughs> ray gun that he pulls out. That's got like suits a circle beam. <laughs> oh, it's so classic. Yep, another great visual effect, mm-hmm. visual auditory effect. Mm-hmm. And so that's when uh, Polly breaks into into in the Sky Captain's office and uh, talks to him. And again, this is a scene where they just immediately there's a lot of tension between the both of them. <laughs> like he's literally got his gun pointed at. Him. Yeah, and they're sniping at each other, and um, Dex comes in. And he's, he, he seems like the long-suffering yeah. third party. Well, and, and then he's like, hi, Polly. And it highlights that thing about the, did you sabotage my plane? Did you cheat on me? Which and, is so basic, and they keep coming back to it, but it's it's all you needed. Right. Well, and it highlights. Characters and you want to talk about, you want to talk about, again, characterization. The reason it's so good is, it's not just because she didn't just sabotage his plane because... She was mad he cheated on her. 
she also needed to, I think she probably, you get the backstory that she also wanted to take a picture of like some Chinese guy or something <laughs> that was illegal. He's not upset just that she left him behind in a prison camp. You don't touch his plane. He's Sky Captain. <laughs> and I love that because it's not just built on them. It's built on their characters and how they interact and where they're, and why they're so upset about this because they basically bumped head because she's an intrepid reporter. He's Sky Captain. <laughs> and they're both their goals got in each other's way. Right. I immediately get the idea that they care about each other, but they care more about their jobs. <laughs> That's the hard part, right? <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're inevitably some conflict. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, there. Uh, I was talking the other day and, uh, to a friend of mine, and I said, well, one of the reasons that tension, people get wrong about tension is they think characters have to be like, diametrically opposed to each other, like against each other. But you can have characters that have similar goals, but going about them in different ways, and that can create tension, too. And so, in a way, they're both kind of adventurers. They both have different goals and different methods, and those are what cause attention. It's not like they're against each other. They just <laughs> have their own routine. It's like when somebody writes Batman and Superman badly, they make them hate each other and want to kill each other. When someone writes them well, they might go, Superman has problems with the way Batman operates. Batman sometimes thinks Superman operates in a silly way. But they both understand at the end of the day, they're there to help people. So they can have tension and still not be opposed to each other. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, this this movie's a really good example of because there's no she's not trying to kill a sky captain or something. <laughs> she's not trying to help uh, Totenkopf destroy the world. <laughs> she just needed to stay wherever they were, right, for an extra day or something to get right. this photo. Yeah. <laughs> so then they reveal that the robots have somehow been kept secret, which yeah. I find hard to believe. But whatever, I'll, I'll play along with it. Sure, why not? Um, and I love this hall of robots. That's just because they all look different, like different models. Of the robots, like they've been slowly getting more advanced, which fits with the idea that these robots have been building, because you know the robots have been building themselves really for this amount of for, the, for since this guy died twenty years ago. They're learning. It's a lot like the uh, Incredibles plotline. I mean, there's yeah. no scientists, yeah. but the scientists keep coming with better robots. Right. Well, it makes sense. Like these are he created these intelligent machines that are carrying out this mission. They're just doing it better. They're they're not interested. They really don't have any motivation of their own. Other than to do this job well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick aside. A lot of really smart people think that's how the world's going to end. <laughs> Is that we build a machine that's built to do something right. in an optimal way. Yeah. And part of that optimization is going to be murdering everyone. <laughs> right. Well, there's the the Grey Goo Theory. Uh, uh, that's a little different. A little different, but it's still the idea that you make something that makes something. Right. They can make anything to anything and eventually just makes everything into itself. <laughs> It's more like if there was a machine that um, whose purpose was to make paperclips. Yeah. And it it's always looking for the best way to make paperclips. And at some point, it becomes intelligent enough to realize that humans are getting in the way of it making more paperclips. <laughs> so it murders everyone because we weren't smart enough to foresee that we might be in the way of making more paperclips. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a theory that it's not in the movie, in the backstory here, in, this, in the backstory of this movie that the professor, because there's a point where they find, you know, when they, later on when they find him and he's dead, for it's been 20 or 20 years and there's a note that says, forgive me in his hand. Mm-hmm. I have a note that he basically starved to death in his office because that security thing that keeps him from, keeps people from entering, maybe it kept him from leaving. And I have a feeling that at some point he changed his mind <laughs> and the machines were like, this is our purpose this is what we do. It, if you can't handle it, that's fine. We're just we're not going to kill you. We're just going to lock you in this office <laughs> and not worry about you anymore. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that's the unspoken backstory on this one. I think that would have been a great little vignette to put in the movie. Yeah, but 
But I think that's why he's got that note, because it really is like, he just sat there and realized, oh my god, what have I done? I've made a machine that will destroy the world. <laughs> and now that I've changed my mind, it's too late. Because otherwise, why are those robots there? They're just standing there guarding a dead body? No? So you get, <laughs> you get no minus to pulp, and you get a great sci-fi story. <laughs> well, you get me and play God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Now we have to link to that. The link to the caveman sci-fi uh, stories. There's a little webcomic <laughs> that shows caveman sci-fi. Where, it's like, uh, Where the caveman invents something simple like fire yeah, or something. Yeah, me and fire, me and, me and warm cave. You go too far. <laughs> yeah. And the whole world's on fire. Me and play God. <laughs> so many sci-fi stories yeah. are that. Right. Technology is always going to destroy us. Um, We're all Luddites at heart. Well, it's that thing. It's after a certain point, it becomes too scary. Like technology when you're young is like, oh, it's exciting. But eventually somebody comes along and you're like, I don't like it anymore. It's confusing. (laughs) I I say this. I say this every time. But I know that the first time somebody had a flint axe, some old man was just like, it's going to make you soft. You go strangle the deer with your bare hands. That's how we do it. Back in my day. Back in my day. We chewed his neck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bow and arrow a lot of old cavemen <laughs> sitting around <laughs> <laughs> the old the old fat the old like 28 year old caveman well you know lifespans are not really that different it's infant mortality that's the uh the difference oh like uh, uh it's not unusual for people like it, there's a joke like about people with statistics <laughs> Yeah, people, the, the the perception people have is that people died when they were 30 or 40, um, but it actually wasn't that unusual. They didn't actually live, they, you know, we live a little longer generally, but it was actually because infant mortality was so common that that, that really threw off the average. Yeah. In fact, it was, it was really common, like back then, back, back even in the ancient world, if you're, you tell your kid it was like 12, you didn't get attached because you were like, well. Make an excellent point there. Yes. You've caught me out in this I've caught you lie. out in our ridiculous <laughs> scenario. <laughs> No, that's a totally valid point. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's an average. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not enough information. That's right. <laughs> Don't let people lie to you with the statistics. <laughs> if I can get the word out. Polly and uh, Guy Captain go to uh, the office, the the lab, and this is a great scene where he's trying to be cool. He's like, "Well, if I I can lasso the up there and I can tie it." <laughs> And probably just breaks it open with her a brick with a rock. Rock. She's just like it's open. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because Sky Captain's intrepid, but Polly's just like, let's just get this done. And this is where they might they find that scientist, and he's dying, and he gives her. That's when she gets the vials, the uh, the, the the Adam and Eve vials that are keeping basically the operation from going. Right. Which is some kind of particulate virus a genetic. Or it's just supposed to be like a genetic code, genetic. Environment knowledge. Oh yeah. yeah, I thought that was how they were going to destroy the Earth, but I think they said they were going to do it by setting the world on fire. Well, yeah, well, basically his ro- his rockets designed that in order to to basically reach super light speed or whatever, it has to basically set the atmosphere on fire. Sure. Yeah, because he's a scientist Makes with a sense. giant cool rocket. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to explain himself. I love to it you. too because it sounds so much like like what you would do if you're an evil genius. This world <laughs> cannot exist. It's going to probably die. So I'm just going to build a giant rocket. Shoot it off all the stuff into space and burn it up in the fiery ball of death because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mad scientists. Uh, and then they get, uh, Sky Captain gets in a fight with the Asian girl. The unnamed companion. 
Yes, the robot is a robot. You don't know that at first, but she's she she doesn't say anything, but and she's got that cool like laser thing she shoots at him. <laughs> Played by Byling Bailing. I don't know how to say it. Byling. Bye, I think. Bye. It does fine. I mean, she doesn't really have to emote much in this. That's kind of the point. I like that she's sort of playing this sort of stoic henchman, and there's a really good reason for it. Because <laughs> she's not, she's she's just a robot. <laughs> but it's funny because when I first saw this movie, I didn't think about her being a robot because I was just like, oh, she's just a stoic henchman. Yeah. Because it's such a type. <laughs> she's probably the one who trapped uh, Totenkopf's office. Probably. He'll have no wrath like a robot scorned. <laughs> the, the, the flying machine show up again. Yeah. Which I love these flying machines. I love them because they've got like the flappy wings. <laughs> but I also like that the flappy wings have a purpose because it it uh, it limits what they can do. And they did integrate that into the fight scene, which is really cool. Yeah, that's pretty slick. Uh, they have, there's a lot of mechanical stuff that's just exactly as mechanical as you'd find in a pulp magazine. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like there's shots of these things I could... Like there's a, when he's doing the dog fight and he's chasing down the and he sh- I could totally see that in like on the cover of a magazine, yeah, of like a fighter fight and just seeing like Sky Captain's latest adventure. <laughs> oh, every part of this movie really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a natural way though, and I think that's what makes it work too. Is it's not it's not just homages; they're they're integrated well. Like the whole attack on the base is really well done, and even the fact that it's done because they're kind of worried about the information they got from the robot carcasses. That's why the robots are attacking the base, his base, and also they're the, looking for the vials. I thought probably for the vials too, but they're also looking for. I think they're also breaking the carcass, and also they're also I think trying to negate air support because they know that he's, he's got yeah. an airfield. Right, Sky Captain's taking down enough robots. <laughs> right, they, the whole a whole <laughs> flying through the city, chasing down the like. Technically, they could just fly above the city, but what fun is that? <laughs> And I, I think it's just a great... I like the whole... It's almost like Death Star flying through the trenches and, and giving directions. They're giving, she's giving directions about which way to go. The that robot. easily could have been... Like, she gives them directions and then they pop out in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, they extend it to this... Uh, and I think it's, it's to the benefit of the movie. They extend it to this thing where stuff's just constantly going wrong. Right. Well, because it's the cool. Because otherwise, this flying can be kind of boring. Just like yeah. things... But like that part where... And they talk about that part, like the part where he he turns the plane and flies between the two right two buildings, buildings that are close together, right? And the one robot can't do it because he can't, he can't. It's a flappy robot, so he can't, he <laughs> can't turn. Right, a bird can't fly. Right, sideways. it can't fly sideways because it doesn't use the same technology. And that's the other part too, where they go through the the skeleton of the building, right? And again, the, the, <laughs> they can't follow it because it doesn't. It's got to flap its wings. And the one the one bird robot actually does stop, <laughs> and, and then it will crash into it. Into it. Because the bird robots would be able to kind of stop in midair. Right, because that's their thing. That's their benefit. Yep, I, I agree. The bird robots are great. It's a great It's a great scene. I love it. I, I like the, the banter where there's like she's giving directions. It's like, take a left. You're taking me in circles. <laughs> <laughs> and the part where he's got the, uh, the grappling hook so he can make the sharp turn. Because I'm like, you need one of those just in case you're going to get into a dogfight in the city. <laughs> as Scott Captain Will. <laughs> well, of course he does. Right, right. He has the convenient tool that he needs. At he, the right you time. need it. I mean, I've seen I've seen the Batmobile use that before. You can make a short term. You need those things. <laughs> it's part of the pulp story. Really. That's true. <laughs> it seems stupid until you need it. Exactly. <laughs> it's a James Bond gadget. Yeah. Before James Bond got all dark and moody. <laughs> I love. <yes. laughs> 
<laughs> but I like, like Sky Captain's super plain. I think there's actually, if there's any mistake in this movie, it'd be that it doesn't have a nickname. Super Yeah, it's super plain should have a nickname. Oh. And it sort of does, because yeah. later on you've got to find out that the call letters spell are upside down, they spell Polly. Right. But he can't call it Polly. Maybe that's what his name is, but he never, he can't say it for front of Polly. Exactly. So, super plain. <laughs> but like, his super plain, oh, it's so much fun. And then the, the part where they dive into the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, the plane goes underwater. Because <laughs> the plane can go underwater. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't tell Polly that it That's right, that's right, because he's messing with her. <laughs> and she's pissed. <laughs> Which, uh, she should be. <laughs> she should be. This is two people who are irritating. It actually reminds me a little bit of the old romantic screwball comedies where two people are kind of irritating each other the whole time. Yeah. But they kind of deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I keep coming back to it. It's so well done in this movie. I see so many attempts at that that yeah. don't play. <laughs> they're just badly done. So it really stands out that they're doing it so well on Sky Captain. <laughs> I think it's because there's a it's that fine line between being mean spirited and being um I don't know how to put it, because like sometimes you see it and it just seems like either one character's being a jerk or they're both being jerks. Like just mean to each other. But because they're sort of playfully screwing with each other <laughs> It comes across as more natural. And like I think a lot of screw, like older screwball comedies didn't have that element of it, and it worked really well. Yeah. And there's that part where Dex gets attacked by the robots and uses his ray gun. Oh, I love, and these robots. I love these robots. I love all the robots in this movie. I wrote a, uh, a story. It hasn't been published yet. I wrote a novel called One of These Doomsdays, and uh, everyone's it's, it's too complicated to get into. But one of the, the, the doomsdays that our heroes are dealing with is uh, robots. But little retro robots. So, like, at one point, I didn't even realize that, but I kind of stole this design without realizing when I described these these clunky robots that chase after them. And they've got, like, these tentacle arms, and there's these big clunky things. Um, it was in your subconscious somewhere. <laughs> it was, because it's such a great design. Well, because it's such a universal design. So when uh, Sky Captain and then uh, Polly get back, they have a fight with the robots again. <laughs> and this is where the robots would kill them, but they get their return command... And just like, okay, we're done. That's where they find the note left by Dex. Uh, yeah, so he stuck this piece of the map yeah. to a rafter with chewing gum. <laughs> That's right. And Scott Captain condescendingly says, good boy, Dex. Yeah. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Dex has every reason to punch him square in the face now. <laughs> but it's fine. It's, it's good. We'll just go on with the movie. <laughs> you don't have to take that, Dex. <laughs> Stand up for yourself, Dex. Dex's revenge. Oh, can you imagine? Dex, <laughs> Dex fiction. Dex and the masters of the earth. Oh, something like that. Oh, there's so many good things we could be doing here. Dex has finally had enough. <laughs> Dex has to fight like evil geniuses. Like the whole story, Scott Captain's off doing his cool thing. He comes back after Dex has saved the world and he's like, how, how was your weekend, Dex? Oh, pretty good, Cap. Oh, great. <laughs> You gonna start writing this? Oh, I'm getting so mad now. (laughs) Mad at the world. You have the power. (laughs) Hollywood, if you're looking for somebody to write your Sky Captain sequel, you know where to find me. (laughs) Uh, Oh, one thing we forgot to mention is I love when they break into that scientist lab and it's sort of the weird science lab. It's got all the weird science stuff. Oh, yeah. Including the tiny elephant. (laughs) I love the tiny elephant. The tiny elephant. Finally, an elephant small enough to keep as a pet. <laughs> <laughs> really small enough, right? Not even like you can keep it a little terrarium. But I like that they actually use that because when they see the tiny elephant, they're like, "All right, we got it. we're really involved in some weird stuff now." 
Like robots? Okay, we'll deal with that. Tiny elephants? All right, we got problems. <laughs> There's this idea, and it was part of futurism, I think, but the idea that scientists were just inventing way crazy stuff in their For no lives. good reason? <laughs> well, like Totenkopf's definitely could. doing that. Because you've sure. got a whole island just of mutants he's made. Right. And you get the impression, because here's my impression, is because after he made the robots and they started doing their thing, he didn't really have much to do. So he's like, well, I'll just make giant mutants. What if I make a giant bird monster? Okay. you got to have a hobby. He's making a more perfect animal food chain. <laughs> For fun, you guys only do it. I wonder if I could make a giant, like, whatever, what's ever in that river. We don't see what's in that river, but whatever's in that river. <laughs> the thing is, or that... that he just gi- wants a dragon. That, well, yeah, the dragons... <laughs> And was that like that giant monster dog skeleton? And there's the other giant monster dog that we don't see. <laughs> oh, that's a good bit too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this it's very goes through there, and the chain starts to move. <laughs> he points somewhere else and goes through there. <laughs> and it's very super villainy to have like your goal is to protect your base. How should I protect my base? What if by the door there are two giant mutant animals <laughs> that I've chained there? Oh, or you can just put a security door. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, workshop it. We'll workshop it. <laughs> we'll table it for now. <laughs> we'll table it for now. You're going to make the giant mutants, are you? I'm not saying I'm not going to make the giant mutants. <laughs> and that's, he's definitely got that aspect of uh, science who's just doing science. for no, he's, he's a proper mad scientist. He's just like, man, I got too much intellect. I've got to do something with it. <laughs> this is also where they introduced the... Uh, when... Uh, when Polly's going with him on the trip, when Skycat's on the trip and she has the camera that she can only take, she's only going to like so many shots that she loses her film when they, that part blows up, that base blows up. And I love that part. She's only got two shots in her camera <laughs> and she can't use them. She's like a video game character who's got their potion yeah. that they're never going to use. <laughs> yeah. They keep coming across amazing things. Ah, uh, yeah. And Sky Captain looks at her and goes, really? Yeah. No? <laughs> And every time, she's sort of right every time, by the way. Every time she's like, she could it be something better? Like the, the giant bird monster. And he's like, you going to take a picture. And she's like, something, maybe something better. When they see the, the, the flying helicarrier, like, when they have the rocket, the, the, you're really going to find something better than every animal two by two being loaded into a rocket ship. He's like, Maybe. <laughs> Again, that shot with the rocket ship with all the things being loaded and animals being loaded to it, totally see that as a pulp cover. Totally see that. <laughs> yep. I love that she's so upset about the loss of her Because <laughs> it really sets up this whole... It, it, it's consistent with her motivation. Right. She takes stupid risks to like keep to her camera like and get this. pictures. Because you're right, she's going to go... When, the, when, they're, when they're in that trapped in that, that lab and they're going to get blown up, she, she almost goes back to get her film. Right. <laughs> and then, like, the only time she even breaks her cool at all in this movie is where she almost looks like she's crying a little bit, is when she took the picture <laughs> of the ground. That's her breaking point where she's just like, I wasted it. You know, and there's this thing, um, uh, I think that gets talked about in characterization. I've heard, I've heard, um, some other writers talk about it is if you want a character to be interesting or consistent, all you have to do is have them do one or two things consistently over and over again and people will assume a character's like people say they want complicated characters but complicated characters usually aren't accurate because we're really not that complicated <laughs> we're not we think we are yeah and this is a great example because we definitely think we are <laughs> because sky captain and polly are pretty consistently simple characters and she's you know she's intrepid and she's got moxie and what like she's not worried about danger 
she's worried about her camera. Right. And that fits. It makes, you know who she is. Right. And that that's expanded on to kind of a hyperbolic degree. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no more hyperbolic than, you know, having your mercenary army that saves the world from giant robots. <laughs> right. And it's kind of what makes a good character yeah. is that they're exaggerated a little bit. <laughs> yes. Well, it's also yeah. what makes her, because if she wasn't that person, she wouldn't be on this adventure in the first place. She's right. like, here you go, Joe. <laughs> go have an adventure and call me back with the story afterwards. Yeah, so many movies that are worse are just have muddled characters. Yes. Right? They have people that are in a situation for no reason that you can tell, <laughs> that you can determine. And their behavior. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It was, it's like uh, Prometheus where they talk about where you have a character who in one scene is afraid of an alien and in another scene he's not afraid of an alien. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, well, is he not? Whereas Polly is never... Hmm, should I go back for my camera? <laughs> even when it's dumb, even when he's like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> like, hmm, but I could get my camera. <laughs> I think the worst example I've seen of that recently mm. is um, Star Wars Episode Seven. Mm. Finn in the first scene has some kind of PTSD. Oh yeah, you talked about this, yeah. right? And I'm, I'm just gonna keep coming back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got like battlefield terror or something. <laughs> and then as soon as he's out of the the Empire base, they never mention it again. <laughs> he's just shooting guys in the face. <laughs> <laughs> with, he, with no problem, apparently. Have you ever seen uh, Hot Shots Part Two? Yeah. There's that part I love where uh, where the one guy is, keeps, they think he's a rat, he's a, he's a traitor, but it's because he just lost his passion for killing people. <laughs> and at the end, Charlie Sheen's topper like encourages him to go back to kill people. He teaches him his love for killing again. <laughs> And there's the part where he kills some guys. And, and like, oh, I forget this actor. He's in Robocop. He's great. Um, Miguel or something. And he does that line where he's like, war. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened with Finn, you're saying? It's, it's like, man, it's just too hard out there. Don't worry. You can go kill a bunch of people. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You rediscovered his love of murder. <laughs> I discovered my love of violence. I love that. I actually, no, I think that's really important. Uh, it just feels like the most uh, glaring example of that that a lot of people have seen recently. <laughs> it, well, you see it a lot. And it is that thing where you, it's really easy to have a character do something that needs to help the plot or and then forget it because it's inconvenient, which is true. I mean, because it's inconvenient to have a Star Wars character who doesn't want to commit violence. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it could have been really interesting. It could have been, but it's also really hard to it's really hard to do, and so it's kinda of easy to drop it. So that's sort of like you're right, this is this is there's no doubt. Like it's they have their motivations. Polly knows what she wants. She knows what she's gonna do. And it's also explains it. It's why she would leave Joe behind <laughs> to get a picture. Because yeah. that's who she is. You know who Polly is. Yes. You know who Sky Captain is. Yes. You know who Dex is. Right. <laughs> Just everybody's really well-developed. You know who Polly's boss is. And he's, yeah. He's in, like, the movie for two minutes. Two scenes. <laughs> you know, his character's really well-defined. Um, I mean, you even know who Totenkopf is, and he doesn't even <laughs> have, he doesn't have any scenes other than Lawrence Olivier's computer head. Yeah. Um, There's actually not a lot of actors in this. No, no. It's... it's, it's um, there's a point where uh, Sky Captain is handing somebody something to somebody off screen, and I'm pretty sure there's nobody there. <laughs> so then they fly to. That's when they fly to Tibet, Himalayas yeah. or something. Shangri-La, Shangri-La, Shambhala, Shangri-La. I guess they make a stop first. Well, they stop for the guide. Of, uh, yeah, what's his face? Oh, I can't remember his name, but he's giving the sausages. <laughs> yes, he's a he's a great character actor. He's a great lover of sausages. He is. They take him to the the secret. Base the X one of the X bases. Yeah, uh, Omid Dajali. Huh. 
I'm going to butcher this. Omed Jalili. I like that where she's like, I don't trust him. <laughs> and she's like, he's like, funny, he's the same thing about you. <laughs> and uh, they go to the, the secret base that's been long abandoned. It was like, I guess, the proto base where they were still doing some of the work. I think it's because they were digging out radioactive materials because that's why it's radioactive. Because that's the, the indication that it's... I think I must love it. Yeah, where it's radioactive. And uh, and there's that scene where they're locked in... They, they get locked in the in the room full of TNT dynamite <laughs> and the slow burning fuses and the only thing they can think of is try to blow that door open and it's that part where she like duck behind the dynamite and they shine the light and Polly's like well at least we're safe oh <laughs> uh, it was a perfect little snipey right because <laughs> she's like he's true at his best they're only in there because everything got messed up and I love it where they then the the, the guy what, what's the character's name uh, what's his um, name Kaji. Kaji. Like, opens the door, comes in, <laughs> and they just run out. Yeah. And then the whole thing blows up behind him, and then they wake up in uh, Shambhala, which is cool. Again, it's a very much an homage to this, like, secret paradise valley. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Shangri-La was a popular destination oh, yeah. in pulp comics. In my uh, Emperor Miles vs. the Sinister Brain, because it's an homage to pulp, there's, there's Shambhala, Shambhala in it. Oh, nice. And Because uh, it has to be. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to plug my book excessively. <laughs> I'm just mentioning it because my wife said I should mention my books more often. <laughs> I should go see if I can purchase that on Amazon and other. If you enjoyed Sky Captain book distributors, <laughs> if you enjoyed Sky Captain, imagine Sky Captain from Totenkopf's perspective. <laughs> Because is that's that really one, what that is? Actually, uh, it's funny because one of the things like, I actually thought is one of the, the points in that story uh, of Emperor Malaskis is that he's basically a super genius, the smartest being in the universe, <laughs> and he's constantly making things that could destroy the universe. But he can't stop himself because he's bored. And at one point, somebody asked him, like, well, maybe you shouldn't do this, you know, because you keep having to solve problems you're creating. <laughs> And he's just like, well, but science isn't negative or positive. It's just application. It's just like, well, you made a device that can, like, blow up the universe. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean... <laughs> it's mean you have to use it for Yeah, that. and uh, and I was thinking that, like, totally, at one point in the book... Oh, my God, I can't believe this. At one point in the book, he's attacked by somebody who's recreated a mutant he made. It's a giant, like, jellyfish, robotic jellyfish monster. And he's like, well, I never meant to make it. I just designed it. <laughs> And she's like, why would you do it? He said, it was more of a thought experiment. <laughs> Totenkopf did the same thing. <laughs> Man, a lot of your books are based on Skycaps. <laughs> well, they're based on Pulp. I love Pulp, so I'll do a lot of homages to that. By extension, Pulp. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can enjoy the podcast without buying my books. <laughs> <laughs> just like you can enjoy the podcast without seeing the movies. That's right. You can. You, you can just do won't it. enjoy it as much. Your level of enjoyment... <laughs> On the podcast is entirely up to you. <laughs> this is the objectivist bit where you have the license to control your own destiny. You do. We at the podcast will not direct your destiny in any way. We support your self-actualization. If you want to build a robot army that will build a rocket that will destroy mankind, we suggest maybe not doing that. But we won't stop you. <laughs> Because that would be tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they get the uh, they get some staff from one the of Tarkov's experiments. The guy, like the last one, of the last like living guys who was like poisoned by all the radiation. Yeah, 
Uh, Looks a little bit like you. Oh, that guy. <laughs> that line right at the end, he's just like, what can you do for me? Kill me. And I'm just like, you know the other Shambhala monks are like, well, we can't really take a life, but if you could do that for us, it'd be awesome. Because <laughs> he's really bumming us out. And this is supposed to be paradise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they don't show anything. Hardly at all, right? But I assume Sky Captain <laughs> did it. <laughs> I assume, hopefully, he did it for him. I think it's not a reasonable request. Yeah. Leave that ambiguous. Yes. <laughs> I guess it depends on what kind of person you are, <laughs> which you think happened in the... You know, I get that assisted suicide is a real dilemma for a lot of people, <laughs> um, so I'm not going to minimize it, but I will say, <laughs> this, think... poor, this poor bastard dying of radiation sickness. He has a pretty rough. He has a pretty rough. I think Sky Captain would, would step up here. Yes. Um, Melts his face with his laser gun. <laughs> he, would, uh, he would starship troopers him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do it! Do it! Kill me and take my place. <laughs> <laughs> so then they use the the magic rod or whatever. They just do some blah 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 blah. blah. It's not a magic rod. I know, but he does like the, the it's a sundial for the stars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they find the island of uh, Doctor Thoreau slash Totenkopf, right? And had to they had to meet with the uh, flying Dr. airship. Thoreau. What am I thinking of? Moreau. Doctor Moreau. Moreau. Dr. Thoreau's Island would be a different place. Dr. Thoreau's Island. <laughs> oh, yeah, have I, you tried finding yourself in nature lately? <laughs> I hear that, uh... <laughs> Dr. Thoreau. <laughs> I wish I knew some really strong Thoreau quotes, because that would be a great place to start off. What a missed opportunity. <laughs> Who wrote... Is it, he didn't write Walden, did he? Is that the one he wrote? I think so. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I was just a little bit better educated in this particular uh, department. I haven't read it. <laughs> I've uh, got nothing for you. I yet. know. I'm trying to think of like, because I keep thinking like poetry and so like, oh, it's not going to work. Stop it. <laughs> Stop dreaming. You're dreaming. It said stuff about living in a factory and being essentially dead, I guess. Yeah. They find the island and they, they, get, they meet up with uh, Angelina Jolie yeah. as Frankie. Growl. Mm. <laughs> As proto Nick Fury, <laughs> I mean Nick Fury, the yes. comic book character was before this, but Nick Fury in the movies didn't come out yet. Helicarrier hadn't come out in the movies yet. So Frankie's based on comic book Nick Fury, and Nick Fury is based on Sky Captain Frankie. <laughs> Why well, I feel like she's doing and a it's really, all a big circle. It's all a big circle, and I love the the mobile airstrip because it's not like a full Harrier carrier. It's more like a it's more like a small mobile airstrip with a few right. weapons and equipment, but mostly it's there for right. And all the planes in Sky Captain are, are prop planes. Yes, even the the retro so future. Can... <laughs> like I love the shark planes because they're in the the shark planes are meant to go underwater too. Amphibious, <laughs> so they look like sharks. That's right. a really cool design. Because Dex has had has had his uh, sticky little fingers yeah. in it. <laughs> he's 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 a, he's a genius. Good boy, Dex. Good boy, Dex. <laughs> <laughs> What a Melvin. No, know your place. <laughs> and and they, the island really starts shooting rockets at the thing. I like that. And they're going to go back in. And, and I, I love the idea. She's like, well, I'm not going to risk my men. But he's like, well, but it's Dex. <laughs> Instead of being... Yeah, you get the feeling she wouldn't do it for Skycastle. <laughs> but if it's Dex... Well, to be fair, she'll go, she'll go retrieve Dex is an asset that's really good because he, he helps build stuff. Sky He's the smartest a, man in the world. Sky Captain's a man of action. That's great. But yeah. you can always find another man of action. 
Yeah, there's a dozen sky captains right. lined up in our garrison. <laughs> How many guys can you get to build your, your helicarrier? Yeah, there's only one Dex building laser guns, <laughs> underwater planes. <laughs> Dissecting how to stop, you know, rocket ships to the moon. So that whole scene, the sea kids on the water, I really like where the, the, the crab robots. <laughs> the underwater robots. And they're shooting the, the torpedoes. Oh, I love that. Like the torpedoes are spiraling around. <laughs> yeah, another good. It could be on the cover of a it, totally, yeah. magazine. <laughs> yeah. Sky, Sky Captain in the Underwater. Chapter 3 of Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow. Sky Captain's Underwater Menace. <laughs> underwater Terror. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Another really good fight scene. Yeah, it's, um, it's really good. The part where he gets a rock stuck in his rudder is a little. <laughs> I don't contrived. mind it. It's a little. It's, what's weird about it is not that he gets it struck in there, but it's like you never see it come out. They should have thrown, shown it dropping out at some point. Yeah, but it's kind of weird that it's like it's there, and then he's like, "Well, it's gone." Well, that's just you showed it going in, show it falling out. Very, very minor complaint. Very minor complaint. <laughs> it's just an excuse to have that cool thing where where uh, Frankie. Distracts the torpedo, comes flying in, and ejects out of her sub. In the and I love those outfits they're wearing, the submersible outfits. And I love that they even have that like rocket effect. <laughs> they get out of the water, and she shoots up to the. Oh, <laughs> it's the, the escape pod is designed to get her out of the water and then up into the air another, onto her ship. <laughs> another great shot that would have been on a pulp cover. Just I could just see her like a pulp cover. Frankie, I forget what her character's last name was, but Frankie. And and oh, there's so many stories that could have been in this universe. <laughs> but I'll take another Spider-Man movie, thanks. <laughs> Kerry Conrad must have just every scene he must have been editing with a like a pulp magazine oh, next to it. <laughs> he, he, every time. It was very impressive. Uh so they get onto the island. <laughs> yeah. And, and start seeing the weird creatures That's right. running around. <laughs> and this is the point where uh Polly falls on a, a bridge or something. The the log, which is the homage to King Kong. Out. Yeah, because of course there's a ravine with the giant log bridging is, it. <laughs> yeah. And I like that, you know, it's interesting is that I think part of the reason these homages work is they're homages without being overt in the sense that he doesn't go to the next level of having like them being chased by a monster and it shakes the log. Yeah. It's just I was it's a reference the but, log to fall. Somewhere. But instead it's just a reference to it that there's yeah, it's cool. This is a cool thing you've seen in other movies in the King Kong. I mean, it's such an iconic element of King Kong that the problem with recreating it too perfectly is you're just going to compete against that scene. Because yeah, in the original true. King Kong, in particular, it's a great scene. Like that that part where those poor guys are screwed. As Kong keeps rotating that log, and they're falling <laughs> off to their death. And you're just like, oh, you're screwed, man. <laughs> right. I expected something like that to happen. Yeah. But after it didn't, I didn't think, oh, well, that was missing. Right. I just, <laughs> it, it wasn't like, no. a problem with the movie. Yeah. But yes, yeah, Polly shoots the ground. <laughs> <laughs> this is where she starts crying a little bit. Yeah. And Sky Captain starts to feel like, oh, I've gone a little too far. <laughs> it actually pets off. Which is nice. I think it shows... They still care about each other. Of, right. Yeah. This is part of them not being like completely at loggerheads. And yet it's still kind of a misunderstanding because it's like, she's not... <laughs> this is also the part where she finally admits, she's like, what well, did you cheat on me, Joe? Was it Frankie? <laughs> and he's like, well, I would never do that to you. And she's like, I sabotaged your plane. <laughs> and he's like... Three months. <laughs> and and they're both immediately mad at each other. When they both admitted they were just douchebags to each other. They were both jerks to each other. <laughs> and I love that because it's that thing where it's like, you're both wrong. you got to just get past it. <laughs> but instead, it's just... Sabotage your plane, Joe. Three months. It's a culmination without being overwhelming. And then that's the part where the giant dogs at the entrance. 
They go around. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the part where I love that. And they don't show the other giant dog. They no. Just show the chain. Because all you get is that giant skeleton. You're like, I'm... I mean, it's huge. <laughs> this scientist was literally like two dinosaur-sized mutant dogs guarding my home. God, this movie is so good. Yeah. It's so much fun. You it's do so have to watch fun. the movie. Go watch the movie. <laughs> You were reluctant. <laughs> I was. And um, such a fool. And they go in and they see all the animals being loaded into the rocket ship. <laughs> and there's that great line. She's, she's about to take the picture. What are you going to see that's better than that? <laughs> and at the end of the movie when she finally takes the picture. Yeah. And he says lens cap. That's a great topper. That makes me. Did he know the lens cap was on the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> well, she took it off, and every, I, it's interesting is she takes it off a lot in the movie. You see her take it off. Okay. Which I think is actually interesting because by doing that, it's a subtle... Like, when he says lens cap, you, you, you've been... I know it's interesting, but it's like it's a... I don't want to say it's subtle direction because you just expect her to take the lens cap off. But it's such a reminder. It's a subtle reminder every time that the lens cap is there. And I think that's interesting because uh, it's, it's it's not important. If he had said lens caps, it still wouldn't have made a difference. But even the movie's kind of reminding you, so you get a little payoff. Sometimes uh, you can foreshadow too much, but sometimes we talked about natural foreshadowing, where it's just a natural action. Like her taking off the lens cap is such a natural action, you don't think about it. But when he says lens caps, you remind, you're reminded of all the time she took it off. Right. Good foreshadowing. Let's try that again. <laughs> Good foreshadowing is not... Apparent. <laughs> well, and we talk about it. I mean, because you know, whenever I we go back and I go back and look at these episodes and listen to them, and especially when I'm editing, it comes up over and over again. We talk about how foreshadowing is usually, and often it's the, either the form of a joke or a form of like a natural action, because otherwise it's not foreshadowing; it's just telegraphing. <laughs> and she's like, "Hold on, Joe, let me move my lens cap." It's still foreshadowing; it's just bad foreshadowing. Yeah, but I consider that bad foreshadowing. It's telegraphing. Fair enough. Right. So, yes. Yeah, I think there's just a set of things we hit on every podcast. (laughs) I think what's interesting is these are little things that I think people don't... I don't want to see people don't notice or care about. But I think they're things that if you actually pay attention to the movie, movies don't get a lot of credit for. Yeah, Um, I agree. Because they're just small things. But so much of the small things can really make a difference for something... I think it shows that somebody cared enough to do all that stuff. Well, and it's 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 the little technical. De- it's the polish. That's yes. the difference too. Is sometimes I'll watch like a low budget movie, and there's not they don't have time to polish, so there's always going to be mistakes. But if you have the time and you can polish, that's really where the greatness comes. I always think of well, my favorite movie, The Incredibles. There's so many moments in that movie that work because they're they're small and they're not big. It's really easy to be big, but like there's that part where. I would, one of the parts that always moves me is where uh, Elastigirl's talking to uh, Violet, and she's just like, you know, outside the cave, and she's like, it's wrong for me to expect so much from you, but you have to do, but you have to because we don't have any option, but you'll be great. And up to that point, Violet's had her hair like in her face, and she's been very shy, and she just takes the her hair uh, band and puts her hair back. And that's all she does. And she just kind of looks at the sky, and she's kind of thoughtful. And it just moves me because it's like, it's a small moment of transition. It's very intentional, but it's not done in this huge sweeping gesture. It's done in this small thing. Right. And so something like removing your lens cap every time in the shot without focusing on it, without just making part of the natural action, is polish. And it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mostly didn't notice it. 
Right. Um, but yes, one of the things we used to talk more about, I think, is pacing. Mm-hmm. But most of the movies we watch are paced very well. <laughs> I agree. So I think that that's one of those things that just kind of disappeared. But it's still true. Sky Captain is well-paced. Yes. Well, and it reminds me of the idea of, of uh, Pulps because Pulps, like a magazine, would have stories broken into parts. Each of these is like a little part. Yeah. You could see it like, I really am like, you could title these as chapters. It's kind of episodic. Right. I mean, it's not in the sense that it all ties together in one story. Each of them breaks. There's a very clear line. If you were going to read, like, this is a story, like, Sky Captain and the Robots of New York. <laughs> and it would end with, uh, they're coming back. <laughs> and then Sky Captain and the Air Raid. And and everyone could work. Which is just great. I think you give the audience a little breadcrumb to lead them forward. It's like, okay, some sometimes bad writing expects you to put in the work like a marathon. <laughs> And some movies demand that. Some stories demand that. But most stories don't. Most stories... Your Lords of the Rings. <laughs> sometimes it can do that. But most stories, I feel like, you've got to entice me. And it doesn't have to be, give me a reward. It's just, okay, this is cool. I'm excited about what's coming next. I'm interested in what's happening next. There's definitely an art to it. Mm-hmm. Um, having the small story that is a complete story <laughs> is Ties part of the larger, larger story. story. I think, like, X-Files Season 1 did that pretty well. Off and on. Off and on, yeah. They kind of ran out of material, it feels like. It's hard. It's hard, I, especially the continuing universe kind of thing. I mean, yeah. this is this one, they know where they're going. They know they're going to get to the end eventually. Right. Imagine they had to stretch this out twice as long. Stranger Things. <coughs> Stranger Things. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't like Stranger Things. I liked it okay. <laughs> I didn't finish it. I think that's kind of a U.S. phenomenon where you have to fill a season of shows and it's like 30 shows or something. Yeah. Well, Stranger Things was like only eight episodes. Right. It could have easily been three. Well, like a British series will be six episodes. Yeah, yeah. All of them yeah. will be six episodes max. <laughs> I, was, I was watching some some show and they were talking about, this is your favorite your favorite show? And he's like, yeah, it's a British sitcom. We ran for 30 years. They always had 25 episodes. <laughs> I kind of prefer that. It, if it's, it's good, the best yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right? IT Crowd is a great show. the best stuff they came up with. Oh, yeah. I love IT Crowd and, and that's only... Almost every episode's great. Yeah. <laughs> And even when they're not great, they're still pretty good because they don't <laughs> yeah. have to stretch it out. Yeah, there's no filler. Yeah. So they anyway. they get chased by robots. Again. The floating robots. <laughs> I like those floating robots. And they get rescued by Dex. Dex. Good boy, Dex. Good boy, my ass. He saved your ass. <laughs> and he does good boy, Dex. Two or three times yeah. in here. <laughs> and, uh, you motherfucker. And this is the part where it's like, oh, we just escaped. Like, that's convenient. You didn't show us that. But I can that's see our why. PG-13 rating in there. I slipped a fuck <laughs> into the podcast. <laughs> Reminds me of Godzilla Godzilla Final Wars. is a movie I really like. It's it, just Godzilla beating up a bunch of monsters. And at one point, just like in this, a bunch of characters are escaping. And just when they're about to get caught, some scientists show up, like, heroes and save them. But in that movie, they don't show them escaping either. The, the, but they just say this line. We escaped somehow. <laughs> Even they don't know how they escaped. Well, they were saved by, oh, let's say Mo. <laughs> yes. At least in this movie, they just like, oh, we just escaped. Okay. <laughs> you know how you, you're just not going to waste our time explaining it. I guess. <laughs> and they're going to go get to Totenkopf. And this is where you have the Totenkopf office and the robots with the, the ray gun. And I love the ray gun because in the beginning, someone was like, you were like, was it you who said, why don't they all have ray guns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you know why now, because they're still perfecting it. It's a prototype. It's a prototype. It's like he uses it, and then, and then it doesn't work. He's like, what's not working? Shake it. <laughs> yeah. 
totally That's relatable. That's got to be a reference to like laser gun toys. Oh, it's totally it relatable, <laughs> right? We've all been there. It's just like you hit something because you're like, maybe it's just something loose, and if I hit it enough. Oh, uh, and then they have the Tesla coils. Oh, the yeah, the disintegrates that poor scientist. Because <laughs> you had to see somebody's face. Right, right, right. right. And then uh, the giant face of Totenkopf. The Wizard of Oz face. Yeah, and they break that. And I like that part. Again, this is the clever part where it's like, is it broken? Is it working still? Only one way to find out. <laughs> and Polly has got to get an old hands to step on it. And Dex, because he's not an idiot, is like, I'm going to throw something. <laughs> Sometimes being a man of action is a mistake. Sometimes being an intrepid reporter leads to mistakes. <laughs> They're courageous to the point of foolishness. Right, which makes sense, right? I mean, it fits. It fits with the idea. Um because he's Sky Captain, and she's Polly Perkins. Right, and and I like and that because <laughs> that's the idea of your uh, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's great. And uh, when they go in, that's when they find the office, and they find Totenkopf dead, and that's when they he was the note. dead the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the whole time. M. Night he did start the process at some point. <laughs> they did an M Night Shyamalan. Not picturing like the robots just existed and just put him in that office to make. You're our cover story in case we get caught. Totten cough. Totten cough. <laughs> We're onto your robots. They find Totten cough with the note that says, Forgive, Forgive me. me. He's had remorse. He's decided maybe it wasn't a good thing to destroy the world to save it. It wasn't such a great idea to make robots that uh, could make themselves better. <laughs> Who knows? You're genius, right? You hit, he uh, play God. <laughs> <laughs> then the part so then they like and this is where they had the count I wish the count if I was going to have a small I mean I don't mind because it's for dramatic purposes but the countdown of this is a little short it's like they got five minutes they got ten minutes it's like no it seems like you're all fading there a long time but anyway they have to go and basically you know Dex and the scientists know all the brainiacs the <laughs> know how to stop the, the ship the eggheads break something it's a one way trip it's a one way trip <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's not, first of all, I mean, you're not really any safer off staying on the planet as it explodes. Yeah, I don't know where they were going. <laughs> well, the idea was that he was going to stop it and then they'd be okay. Yeah, I guess. But you're right. If he didn't make it, <laughs> they're all screwed anyway. They're all screwed anyway. But uh, um, So a sky captain knocks out Polly Perkins by punching her in the face. Oh, I like that. He kisses her <laughs> and punches her. <laughs> and this is where I, I think this is a good update of the idea because later on when she... Helps him. She basically rescues him from the robot. Yeah. I like it because in the old stories, yeah, you would still have an intrepid reporter. and She could even be a woman and she could be full of moxie, but she usually didn't accomplish a lot. She would get information. She might help some way, but usually she wasn't going to help in that way. But I like that basically Skycat is going to lose. <laughs> like him punching out Polly was a mistake because he could use the backup. Right. <laughs> and she stops the robot and then she punches him. <laughs> Like, oh, you guys are pushing each other's buttons all the time. And the thing I think Gwyneth Paltrow is good at in this movie is looking pissed. <laughs> you know, there's things that, like, we were talking about some of the acting in it. Like, I love the part where they she figures out about Frankie and she's in the plane. Like, just sitting behind him, <laughs> glaring at him the whole time. Every time, like, he's just talking and he's completely oblivious to it because she's behind him. And she's just like, right, Joe. And that look she's giving him where she's just like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> It's delicious. It's delicious. And I love it because in your mind, she's also kind of like, I'm so glad I sabotaged you. 
Like that doesn't give you the right to sabotage his plan. I'm so glad. But she's thinking you deserve it. That's just right, right. And he's thinking. I'm sure he's thinking. And once she sabotages his plane, he's like, "You deserved it." You know, <laughs> like, oh, they're so bad for each other, but they're so good for each other. Button heads because they're both full of moxie. <laughs> they got too much moxie. There's an excess of moxie in this relationship. <laughs> so they uh, they both get on the ship. The ship takes off. Yeah. Polly uses her skill of pushing buttons. <laughs> well, because they want to save the animals. When I saw this movie the first time, it's funny. You know, because, you know, my mom said that was the moment she really liked. She watched it. And she was like, she really, really liked the movie. And she really enjoyed it. But she goes, when they were like, we've got to save the animals. She was like, that's nice. They thought about it and they cared. You know, it's like that scene in Killer Clowns where even though they don't save the people, they do say, well, there's still people in these bubbles. And then they have to they get chased out. But I like that at least they thought about it. But in this case, they even managed to save him. It's nice. You don't have to worry about all the poor animals dying. Yeah, they were going to save the animals. Yeah. Because they couldn't. Yeah. But <laughs> but they saved the animals. Yeah. He's just like, stop touching stuff. <laughs> but that's Polly. She's, she's got it. She doesn't. She acts. She doesn't, doesn't overthink it. Yeah. She's intrepid. That's right. And there's the final fight with the robot. The uh, girl robot. Yeah. yeah. It's fine because it's, 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 she's just tougher, but he manages to get the, uh, the her staff, her glow staff or something, and stab it into her. And then he cuts, they, they, they blow, they stop the, the ship, and then just before it blows up, they get on their escape capsule, which of course is tradition. I mean, it'd be a bummer if they both died. <laughs> That's not this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just, just a shot of Sky Captain and Polly's face in the sky. <laughs> Like, well, that's kind of a bummer. Just like the scientists died, they'd both melt. <laughs> <laughs> that's the last shot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course they live. Because it's, it's a pulp homage. Right. Because they've got to have for the their adventures. <laughs> right. and, and there's that cool shot of like all the all this cave castles <laughs> coming, down, coming down. And there's like elephants and giraffes <laughs> and different animals. Right. And Polly's finally ready to take her picture. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's again, it's really a great moment. Because it's almost, it's that moment of character growth where she's going to take Joe's picture because she's just like, oh, oh Joe. <laughs> and in that line, lens cap. Yeah. It's that, time so well because it was starting to get schmaltzy. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Like, oh, that's sweet. And that, shit, that yeah, shot enough. of her face, that shot of her face that she just kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then the end shows up. Oh, it's great. It's a great movie. It's a, so Excellent much movie. fun. And it's a shame that. We just don't appreciate the fun the same way because it's just so much fun. Yeah, it's a real shame. I'm glad it's on the list. <laughs> yes, I'm glad we. I'm glad you remembered. I'm glad you liked it better than you remembered. Because I'm I glad I liked it better than I remembered. Came around. <laughs> I, ha- podcast here. I have a friend um, who loves Star Wars, like loves Star Wars, and I I had this copy of this DVD and I gave it to him because I was like, I think you'll like this. And he'd never heard of it. He never. He saw it, and I remember. He said to me, this was the movie George Lucas wanted to make when he wanted to make Star Wars. <laughs> he still loves Star Wars, but I thought it was perfect because he was like, this is such a great homage to that. And so much of Star Wars originally was such a great homage to this sort of pulpy science fiction fantasy stuff. Yeah, um, similar kind of journey. Yeah, and it's kind of lost that way. I mean, anytime you go on, I mean, that's maybe that's why Pulp Sky Captain's great that it doesn't have more. Because maybe by the fourth movie, it'd be really stupid and dumb. You know, there's that thing. Sometimes the great thing is you leave something alone. You don't pick at it. <laughs> yeah, always leave it wanting more. Because, like, I'm trying to think, like, somebody else would come along and have, like, the dialogue be corny or stupid. <laughs> or... 
Or have Polly do something dumb that didn't fit. I wouldn't want to see another one that wasn't by uh, uh, Carrie Conrad. Carrie Conrad. Right. But even then, sometimes even people who are good at it, like like I love Hellboy. I think Hellboy is one of my favorite movies. But Hellboy 2, yeah, I don't. I just don't think it's very good. Same I think director? I have a lot. Of, yeah, same director, Gamma del Toro. It's like I, I really like Pacific Rim. But then they're talking about, oh, Pacific Rim 2. I'm just not super excited about it until I see more. Until I come. And uh, Incredibles is my favorite movie. And Incredibles 2. Doesn't mean you're gonna, do, and it's the same director. It's Brad Bird, who's Brad Bird's an incredible director, uh, in the aspect of animation, but like, uh, Mission Impossible, whichever one he did, Ghost Protocol or something. It's a great movie. But then he did Tomorrowland, which is an okay movie. I like Tomorrowland. Yeah, it's okay, but it could be so much better. Although it does have cool robots. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can always win me over with cool robots. Cool robots and optimism. <laughs> yes, uh, cool robots in a movie, I'm just like, damn it, I shouldn't like this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always tougher to make a sequel. Um, because now there's expectations. <laughs> well, because it's hard sometimes. You don't know what to do. It's hard to, to make it work. And just because you capture lightning in a bottle doesn't... Maybe that's the best thing. Maybe if there had been Sky Captain had been successful, I'd be talking about like, man, imagine when it was good. The oh, first one would still be good. <laughs> I know, but you still get kind of weird. I think it could have made a good comic series. I definitely. I, I feel like that could have been a thing. If I wasn't a professional writer and I was stuck for fan fiction ideas, Sky Captain would be my... <laughs> You have all sorts of excuses that you're not making Sky Captain fan fiction. I, I'm just saying there might now start to be some Sky Captain references in my fiction. <laughs> and the only people will know are you and me and the people who listen to this podcast. So, five people? Well, you know, I figured another another uh, year it'll be up to, two, up to six. <laughs> hey, we have dozen of listeners. <laughs> That's true, double digits. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> All right, so next movie will be <laughs> our next movie. We're we're going to watch is the campaign, right? With Will Ferrell. All right. So uh, Will Ferrell plays the same kind of character in a bunch of movies, mm. and he's the kind of overconfident guy that doesn't quite get it, <laughs> but it really fits in the campaign. So I think that's, that's one of the reasons I like it. And <laughs> the other one is it's pretty spot on. Kind of commentary on um, modern politics, <laughs> right? And the reason I like it is it's just it's just goofy. I'm it's curious goofy. how it's going to play in a post-Trump world because <laughs> this, well, this stuff used to be subtext. I said that nothing. I mean, like you know, to be fair, nothing could be that exaggerated, and not just politics. So many things in in life, you realize, oh wait, that's not really exaggerated. We just thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, like old Simpsons jokes they made because right. they never thought they'd happen. Right. <laughs> Uh, it happens all the time where uh, like, oh, we can't make that joke. You make an observation, and it's just, oh, this will never. I remember when uh, Big Gulps came out, and the joke was running around. I was like, how big are these things gonna get? <laughs> and now I have a Big Gulp. It's a small drink, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, did you get a Mega Gulp? I remember like Dennis, uh, Dennis Miller making jokes about it, like, what's next? Just hook a hose up to my house. <laughs> Well, I guess. <laughs> right? Big Mac used to be big. I mean, everything is... You cannot exaggerate things. You just wait mm. long enough. Life imitating art. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, 7-Eleven has like a bring a bucket day. <laughs> Drink. Yeah, anything. Bring That's your right. favorite bucket. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so you can't imitate. You cannot exaggerate life, which I mean, is crazy. you can try, but you're just going to make things you're worse. You're just going to catch up to eventually. It's going to catch up to you eventually. <laughs> um, one thing we didn't do was spin the wheel of metaphors. I'm going to try to spin the wheel of I would of like metaphor. to spin the wheel of metaphors. Okay. Let's see what this movie was really about. <laughs> Foreign entanglements. Foreign entanglements. <laughs> kind of broad. <laughs> uh, 
How specific did you want to be? I don't know. The Vietnam War? <laughs> well, it's just foreign entanglements in general. So I guess Sky Captain represents the hegemony of the United States <laughs> in its decision to unilaterally invade other countries like Totenkopf's Island. <laughs> Actually, what I'm going to go with here, I like it, but I got this one instead. Totenkopf's uh, ideal world removes all foreign nations. There's only Totenkopf's world. Oh. But to do that, he must destroy the world of nations. And all that comes with that. By interdicting violently. Right. <laughs> with foreign He's powers. Leaving to the point that's all he cares about. He's trying to avoid foreign entanglements, but by doing so, the only way to do it is to <laughs> destroy all other nuance. Sky Captain, I like it. <laughs> in a weird way, is especially because he's, he's deliberately a, a, a mercenary. He's a neutral party. Like they say the, worlds of, the governments of the world turn to Sky Captain. He represents foreign entanglements, but also foreign cooperation of the world working together. He's the UN. He's the UN of action heroes. <laughs> and uh, so that's and the, the, the floating idea. Sky Fortress was the, uh, what's the base of the UN? UN headquarters? There's some city in, it's, I don't know. The base of the UN is in New York. UN headquarters is what it's called. It's like the UN building. <laughs> the floating <laughs> Sky Fortress is the UN building, basically. <laughs> but I think that that's what... Here's, here's what I like about the wheel of metaphors. Yeah. We pick something and it looks stupid. <laughs> And then we really start thinking about it. <laughs> and you just, you can't not start coming up with theories. You can't come up with, I mean, it's like watching um, any kind of conspiracy theory. You can come yeah. up with anything. Right. Your mind wants to start making these connections. Once you start making it. Yeah. Because there's, you can do it. Yeah. I mean, I do actually think, that, I mean, I don't mind, but there's a great movie called like Room 263 or 271 or something. And it's based on The Shining. It's all these people's pet theories about what the movie The Shining's about. And they get really stupid and esoteric. <laughs> And there, there's a lot of them are just, there's no way they're true, but the people believe it because they've trained their mind to see them. And it's, it's, so that's what Will a Metaphor is. <laughs> Same thing. It's your personal room 273. It's just, it's just, it's human nature. We, we see patterns, we make them. Yeah. Hmm? I, right. I like the thing we came up for on the, uh, the last round. I definitely <laughs> actually like that one a lot. <laughs> I was actually going to talk about it. It's just a framework to start yeah. kind of pontificating. I'm just going to, the metaphor of water. <laughs> we didn't even add. By the way, I don't know if I added this last time, but uh, Eddie Arcadian, he gets his head stuck in that water that's dangerous and comes out. Mm-hmm. He fears the water because he fears personal growth. <laughs> He's hiding within, within himself. Right. <laughs> That's deep. It's deep. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, so real quick, we haven't done this in any episode yet. I okay. added one to seven. Okay. A little blurb. But you can follow us on Twitter at Save the Movies. Our website is SaveTheMovies.com. You can email us, podcast at SaveTheMovies.com, okay. with, I don't know, movie suggestions or... Fan mail or... Just strings of curse words, whatever you want. <laughs> Join the uh, Dex Defense Club. Are <laughs> <laughs> You team Dex or are you uh, team Sky Captain? <laughs> you know who you are, you jerks. Um, you can find Lee's blog at aleemartinez.com. And I think that's it. Okay, well then until next time, he's Scott. He's Lee. And we just saved another movie. Booyah. Hey, was this, is this I'll try to emote. <laughs> Using my radio voice. <laughs> I was in ah. <laughs> Check, check, check.
There's a joke on Tucker and Dale where I talk about Worthington <laughs> nail guns, and I do like radio announcer voice, and I actually like it a lot. It was like, <laughs> Worthington nail guns. <laughs> You'll have to practice that one. 